We'll turn to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. That's a, our kids' video. Uh, in case you were wondering, there are activity sheets out there for kiddos to follow along with or to uh, they can color on and do during the service. And then parents, you guys can ask them some of the questions later. Uh, regarding that video, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 14, and we are going to be talking about uh, one of the more controversial um, topics, issues uh, in church history, and that is the gift of speaking in tongues. And so um, if you are new with us, or if you're visiting, know that we, we didn't just pull this out of the air. We've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we, had a, we had a visitor here, one of the kids' grandmas, uh, that was being baptized, and she was like, man, bless you. A lot of preachers wouldn't have touched that passage with a 10-foot pole. And I was like, well, you know, we just kind of preach through whatever the Bible brings to next. And so uh, it is indeed highly debated, and uh, the church is highly divided, the church at large, on this issue. But I actually don't think the Bible's all, like, I think it's really clear and really helpful, and I don't think we need to be scared of it all. So we're just going to look at the passage today together. So that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to read uh, the first 25 verses just to give context. We're not going to walk through those verses, verse by verse, like we commonly do. Uh, instead, we're going to look at the, the gift of tongues particularly. We looked at prophecy last week, uh, and then we'll actually look at this passage um, one more time um, in a couple weeks. And so, But I want to read it all together and ask for God's help, and then we'll jump in. So it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless um, I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even, or if even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will you know, or how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into thin air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore... One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, what my spirit prays, but or if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say Amen to your thanksgiving whenever when he does not know what you're saying? You may be given thanks well enough, but if the other person is not being built up, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any or more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by the people of tongues, 
and lips of foreigners, of strange tongues and the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers uh, enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's pray. God, would you make that true of the journey? Would you make us uh, this, this place and, and this people May we be a, a people that when others enter, when they visit, when they come from the outside, that they leave here knowing and, and saying that God is really among us. May we never seek to be boasted in our, our, our preaching, our band, our building, or anything other than Christ and him crucified. May, may you make us a place, Lord, where we um, experience you, Lord, that we're not pursuing uh, sensations and feelings or experiences, but rather where it is undeniable for all who was, were in our midst, Lord, that, that you were here. May that be true of us today, in this, this hour, and also in general. Lord, we, we want that. We ask for that. So we submit to your word to that end. That may your word shape us, mold us, push us into you and into your spirit in ways that perhaps we would not willingly go, uh, but we surrender to your word, and may you use me to communicate your word this morning, uh, and may you give us as your people hearts and ears to receive it. We ask and hope these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, the gift of speaking in tongues is, is one that has divided, and there's you know, whole denominations that have started you know, to embrace and exalt that, and there's others that have started to uh, run away from and, and guard against that, and, and there's been lots of debate, lots of ink spilled, lots of fights that have been had over this gift of tongues. And so, uh, but what we want to do is exactly what Paul called us to do is in verse 20, don't be children in your thinking. He says, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And so we as a church, we, we try to consistently preach what this says and, and, and discern and expose what this says um, and, and let that lead us, not be overly biased from our traditions or what others, but, but instead just, just continually submit ourselves to the word of God. And so as we come to this issue, uh, there is no doubt a, a, a a variety of opinions and experiences regarding this topic. There are some of you who have probably grown up in a more charismatic church that had experiences with um, people speaking in tongues in public worship or in different areas, and you were maybe encouraged or discouraged or freaked out or, um, I, you know, any number of things. As Paul, I love how raw and practical this passage is, isn't it? Like, I've shared the story about how I, I encountered when I was like a, a late teenager, I went to a service with my friends and they were speaking in tongues. I didn't know what to do with it. And, um, and I was really kind of alarmed by it. And somebody pointed, you know, my pastor, I think pointed me to this, this passage and, and I was like, oh, that's, Paul's really helpful here. Like, he's really like, he just like, I, I don't have to be worried about this because it's really clear. Like, okay, tongues is not bad, but if it's used in a public gathering, there should be interpreters. Like, and if not, they need to stop. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. That's, that's actually helpful. Um, and so, but this passage leads us not to just tolerate, but actually to desire 
these gifts. And so I understand there's a variety of, you know, experiences, traditions, and, you know, things coming in. But if, if we just, if we don't have to fear as we just sit under the word of God and, and take our angst, take our um, experiences here and, and let's filter them through the scripture. I think uh, the Lord has as much for us in general and, and around this topic in particular, even in a season where there's so much chaos and you could feel like, okay, we need to be talking about other things, Jordan, and, and we will talk about those other things in different venues and, and, and whatnot, but man, we're committed to just preach the word of God and this is not disconnected from what we need to live in a world that is so divided and so full of angst, but it's also not disconnected from what the world needs in this season either. And so um, let's, let's go to this together. Let's come with an open mind and let's, let's let God's word speak truth over this and, and change us wherever we need to go. Some of us will, will need to be pulled um, you know, closer to a more conservative uh, view on, on the charismatic gifts. Maybe we've been in a, in a church that kind of over-exalted these things, and others of us have ran so far away that we don't even know how to begin to acknowledge that there is indeed a biblical use of the, the gift of tongues, and so we'll need to be brought sort of this way, but we'll, we'll all go there together. So this gift of speaking in tongues is, is kind of simply defined by um, Wayne Grudem and, and a couple others, Sam Storms are kind of the two that I, I'm kind of consistently going to for, for my sources uh, but it, it's simply de de uh, defined this way, speaking in tongues. That word tongues is actually more accurately defined as just languages, which kind of just changes the, how we view it anyway. If you hear somebody saying, oh, they're speaking in languages, that's not quite as alarming and strange sounding as it is speaking in tongues. Tongues kind of has this um, you know, charge attached to it where we kind of think of it a certain experience or whatever. But, but, but practically, the, language, uh, the, the definition there would just be speaking in, in tongues or languages, um, I think we got a, a slide there for the, for the definition, Miranda. Uh, it says, prayer or praise spoken in a language not understood by the speaker. And so this is someone speaking um, words. Um, it may sound like sounds, but it, it indeed, if it is truly inspired by you know, uh, the Spirit, will be a language, either an earthly language or perhaps a, a heavenly language, but it, one that is not understood by the speaker. And, and another important distinctive there is that it is, it is generally prayer or praise, meaning it is aimed at God, not at others. And we see that from Paul. He says um, in verse 2, he says that uh, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. And he'll talk about praying in the Spirit, and we'll get to that in, in a minute. And, and that, that person's spirit is edified and understands, but their mind doesn't. And so uh, that's, that's sort of what we're talking about, and, uh, or that is what the Bible is talking about, rather. Now, you may have a different you know, thing that you're sort of trying to uh, wrap your mind around and experience you've had, but that simply, whenever the Bible speaks of this gift, that is what Paul is, that's what the Bible's talking about, that's what Paul's talking about here specifically. He's mentioned it two other times in chapter 12 in the list of spiritual gifts. He talks about how he gives some the various kinds of tongues and others the interpretation of tongues. That's in the same context of giving others the working of miracles and of service and um, uh, discernment and healing and, and those that we're more kind of comfortable with. It's all in that same list. And, and, and later he's going to you know, throw it in in the next list when he says, hey, does God make all these people this or all these people that? Um, and so you need to know it's not, it's not this own you know, weird thing for certain denominations or certain people. Rather, it is one of the gifts that God has given to his church. So that's where we need to start because there's kind of two errors when it comes to how do you view this gift. And so we need to start by kind of 
um, not by defining each of those and realizing and, and kind of dispelling both of those. So the first error when it comes to this gift is um, there are some denominations, some churches, some people who believe that, that this gift is, is a sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. And that if you don't speak in tongues, then you have not yet received the Holy Spirit or a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've been in a, a church like that or know someone who has where they believe a, a person can be saved right, and, and, and be a follower of Jesus, but not yet have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not yet received the Spirit. And so they um, seek this experience, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they look for it to be confirmed by the person speaking in tongues. And so, and I've seen this in my, in some of my friend's life, and, and I'm not saying all churches are like this, but I've seen it create this sort of uh, JV versus varsity mentality. In fact, that's exactly what Paul is dealing with here in 1 Corinthians, where this church is experiencing a lot of supernatural gifts, and there's a lot of people speaking in tongues, and some aren't, and, and, and they're, they're feeling less than, and those that are are, for, are feeling really good about themselves. And Paul is, is saying, hey, this is, this is not the case. It should never lead to some being built up and others being torn down. Rather, it should all be exalting Christ. It should be the edification of the whole body. And it is not a, a, um, a gift that all Christians should get, or is it, nor is it ind indicative of a Christian receiving the Holy Spirit. Because we believe, and we believe the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, when you realize you have a need for a Savior because you're a sinner, right? You confess that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, and Jesus is indeed that Savior. Why? Because he went to the cross, died our death, and was buried, and then came back to life. Amen? And he is the Savior because of the work that he did on the cross and coming back from the grave. You, you say, okay, I, I believe Jesus, I need a Savior, and that you are that Savior, so I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. We become born again. Our sins are washed away. We die to our old way of life. We say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Our sins are washed away, and he comes and indwells us. His Spirit comes to take up residence in us, to live in us. Now, we're more familiar with that when in terms of, okay, he convicts us of sin, he, he guides us, you know, answers our prayers, things like that, but but we need to be just as familiar with the fact that when he comes in, he gives us a spiritual gift, at least one, likely numerous, but he gives spiritual gifts. When he comes, his spirit comes to dwell within us, he then lives through us and gives gifts to the church through individuals. So he doesn't make, all, he doesn't make one individual bearer of all of the gifts, and he doesn't give one particular gift to all individuals. Rather, it is this diversity. You can see chapter 12, he goes to great lengths to explain this dynamic for the church. And so when it comes to the gift of tongues, it falls in the gifts that he gives to some believers. And a couple of proofs for that is if you look in uh, chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, uh, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. There's a lot of people speaking in tongues, and they're trying to figure out, okay, is that... That demon inspired? Is that spirit inspired? What do we what do we do with that? Accept that, embrace that, kick that out. And, and Paul says, so nobody who has the spirit of God is going to say Jesus is accursed, but also no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So he, he's saying right there that no one is going to come to a confession of faith, a believing posture of faith where they're saying Jesus is Lord unless they have the Holy Spirit within them. So it is not a matter of, okay, they can believe in Jesus and then they'll get the Spirit later. No, it, this, is, this is a spiritual gift they might get as, a, as you know, um, one of the many that the Lord offers, but it is not one that all should expect to get as a, as a way of proving that they indeed have the Spirit. Later, 
in, um, in, in verse 10, he, he talks about it as, as God giving some of uh, these various kinds of tongues and some the interpretation. Later in chapter 12, um, around verse 28, and God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, then teachers, then miracles, the gifts of healing. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and the various kinds of tongues are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers. And, and again, if you read this in context, the first part of that chapter has been explaining that no, it's not everybody's, and he talks about it as a body. Not everybody, not every part of the body is a nose. If, if that were true, nobody would be seeing or hearing, and not every person is eyes. Otherwise, no one would be doing the walking. And, and, and he's talking about this diversity of gifts, and he says not everybody receives this. Not everybody is this. So not everybody's apostles. Not everybody's teachers. Do all possess gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And he's implying, indeed, no, that's not how the body of Christ Works And so you, if you have been taught that, if there is a fear in you or an angst in you that, that if I don't speak in tongues, I haven't received the Spirit, I believe the Word of God gives you great comfort here that that is not the proof of the Spirit. The proof of the Spirit is that you have trusted in Jesus and called on Him to be your Savior because you can't do that without the Spirit of God empowering you to do so. So if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you love Him, then you are indeed a bearer of the Holy Spirit. You may or may not speak in tongues, but you do indeed have the Spirit of God. So we need to put that to rest and reject that as, as something that the Bible does not teach. We'll get into kind of how that misunderstanding came about in, in just a, a bit. But the second uh, error when it comes to the gift of tongues is, is that, you know, one, one side sort of exalts it as one that everybody should have, otherwise they're sort of second-class Christians. The other side is that it should be dismissed altogether because those who have it or those that seek it or practice it are just kind of little on the crazy side and the rest of us who are sober-minded and, you know, reasonable people, we don't need to have anything to do with that. And so we sort of dismiss it, right? Maybe you don't despise it. Maybe you don't think ill of it, but you just don't understand it. You don't care to understand it. And you just kind of shove away from the table. And that's an error as well. We need to keep in mind that, that um, this is, the gift of tongues was God's idea, Right? That this is not man's generate, like generating something. This was God's idea. It was his good gift to his church, and it was given to his church no less so than the gifts of teaching and mercy and exhortation and evangelism and the ones we're more familiar with. So, so we don't want to go there either. We want to be a people who are <clears throat> mature in our thinking where we're able to sit and listen to all that the Bible has to say about a subject. We don't want to just take one verse. We don't want to just take one person's argument and embrace that fully. We want to look at all the perspectives the Bible brings and, and, and find uh, what God is teaching us from his full counsel of the Scripture. So we don't want to, we don't want to reject it. <clears throat> we also don't want to exalt it as this thing that separates you know, JV from varsity Christians. All right, so, so those are sort of the errors. Now let's get into, okay, what does it look like in, in the life of the church? What does it mean um, for the gift of tongues to still be present in today. And I think that, you again, you'll find this to be really helpful, really freeing in terms of God neither forbids it or, you know, calls us to dismiss it, but he also does not encourage uh, it to, to lead uh, to a, a sort of chaotic and um, <clears throat> confusing and unsettling service. Uh, that Both of those things are true. So I, I think you'll find the Word of God is indeed helpful for us on this. So what is the use of tongues in the New Testament and in today's church? This is indeed a, a, a new, new covenant gift. This is something that came about <clears throat> as a part of Jesus launching his church and sending the Spirit. And so uh, the first way that the, the gift of tongues can be 
given to the church is the one that's perhaps uh, most easy for us to accept, and, and we see it sort of in Acts chapter 2 and in other places in the book of Acts, and that is just very simply, it is a, a missionary gift, meaning someone may be uh, in, engaging with someone about the gospel, and they don't speak the same language, and God may indeed gift that person uh, with the ability to speak that language of that person, the other person in order to explain the gospel. Like that that has indeed happened, continues to happen on the mission field at different times at different places where God is going to call this person to salvation. I don't know their language, but he may indeed give me the ability to explain the gospel in their language. This, um, we, we see the gift of tongues sort of uh, burst onto the scene in Acts chapter two at the, the, the day of Pentecost is what it's become, or it's come to, to be known to us as the, the moment when the spirit fell on the early church. So if you know the story, Jesus comes back from the dead. He lives with his um, disciples on earth, appears to over 500 people for about 40 days. And then he's uh, gonna ascend into heaven and he tells his disciples, hey, you wait in Jerusalem, and you're going to receive power from on high. And he'd been telling them all throughout the Gospels, hey, i got to go, but when I go, it's going to be better for you that I go because I'm going to send the helper, or the comforter, or the spirit. He referred to all, all three the same names, the advocate. He said, I'm going to send the spirit, and all are going to receive it, and it's going to be amazing. And he prophesied this in the book of Joel earlier, hundreds of years before. He says, when this time comes, the spirit of God's going to be given to all men, not just the prophets, not just the priest, but to all who believe. And in that moment, they're going to dream dreams and, and speak visions and, and speak in tongues. And it's going to be this incredible moment. And so all that comes to pass in Acts chapter two, I want to read this with you. If you want to flip over there with me, you can. Acts chapter two, I want to read this moment. And really, I want you to hear this as uh, this is tied and connected to Genesis chapter 11. If you know that story, it's the Tower of Babel when mankind's evil has come to such a head that they are, they are coming together to build this tower so that they could be equal to God, so that they could be above everyone else and have this, this, uh, this experience of, of, of power and of authority and to be you know, in the heavens with God. And God won't allow that, not because he's threatened by them, but because he knows it's bad for humankind. Humans were made to be in relationship with God, and that relationship is one of servant to king, not to, to be co-equal. And that's where we get in trouble every time, Genesis 3, Genesis 11, and on and on and on. When we try to reach to be equal with God, in fact, the passage that, that Stacy read earlier from Philippians 2 is talking about how Jesus is equal with God, and he reverses this curse by laying himself down and choosing to become instead like us to make a way. So in that moment, if you know the story in Genesis 11, God comes down and confuses their languages. And they, they, they get scattered. They, they start speaking different languages, and they scatter all out throughout the earth. And that's where we get the different languages we have. They originated, originated there. Now, that was not God's plan. Okay? That happened as a result of sin. God's original plan was for us to be in community, in communion with him and in community with one another and to share the glory of God and to live in his presence. But we messed that up in Genesis 3 and it gets compounded in Genesis 11. And so we see that as it moves into, even in Genesis 12, he starts talking to Abram and, and calls him to become a nation. He says, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. And he starts to talk about this people of God that he's going to create. And then all the prophets look ahead to one day whenever all the people from different tribes, tongues, and nations will be brought together and once again have a common language of worship, a common language of surrender to the true king. 
And so I want you to hear this as a culmination, as a reversal of Babel, and as a culmination of what the Messiah was going to do. That indeed, all the work of the Old Testament was pointing up to this point when Jesus would come back and begin to restore what was lost through the sinful actions of man and the disbursement and the confusion. Jesus says, okay, it's not always going to be that way. And one day there's going to be, at the end, we read Revelation 5 and 7 and 19, we, we see these pictures in chapter 21 of, of the, the throne of God is, is filled with worshipers. There's people all around and from, there, from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus. Right now our nation needs division. It's divided on issues of race and political opinion and all of these things. And Jesus is the only thing that will truly give us unity. The only thing that will break down those walls of hostility is indeed Jesus And him alone, Jesus Christ and him crucified, is the only thing that humbles uh, the the people who need to be humbled and gives hope to the people who have been oppressed. Like, that is the only hope that our world has. And indeed, it will be accomplished. And Jesus is going to burst forth with his spirit in a moment in Acts chapter 2 to declare that indeed he is about that work and it is headed toward that. It happens in Acts chapter 2 in this way. He says, In the day of Pentecost arrived, They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it had filled the entire house where they were sitting. And and it divided, and in divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is new. They don't know this part of God. Spirit had been reserved for the prophets, the people that God particularly came and anointed. But here now, Jesus has made atonement, and the, the way is paved for sinners to be saved in such a way that they're in relationship and reconciled to God. Now his Spirit is going to come and fill them. And so this is a particular moment in history when the Spirit comes and descends on the, the new believers, the disciples here in this moment. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. So everybody has been in Jerusalem for the Passover, um, and and many of them are still there. It's a diverse city, people from all sorts of different um, countries and languages. And at the sound of the multitude, all these people came together. So when they heard this, this mighty rushing wind come, they came together, and then they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished and saying, well, not all of these, or not all these who are speaking Galileans, how is it that we hear them in their own language? And it goes on to list all the different types of people and the different uh, tongues that they, they speak, and they're like, we're, we're all hearing them tell the mighty works of God, in verse 11, in our own tongues or languages. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others were mocking, saying, hey, they're just drunk, because they're filled with new wine. So Peter then gets up, gives a sermon, explains what has happened, and 3,000 people get saved that day. It's an incredible story. I challenge you to read the rest of the chapter. It's an incredible story. God uses this gift of tongues to burst on the scene and to validate the the resurrection of Christ in such a way that he uh, launches the church into existence in a powerful way. 3,000 people get saved that day, and the church of Christ is born and it is sent into the world. And you and I are recipients of that flame being breathed into existence right then and there. Eventually, those people would be the ones that would send out missionaries, that would send out other missionaries, that would make it their way over to all the parts of the earth to where you and I eventually heard that God set that into existence. And tongues is one of the ways that he used that. 
that he, one of the things that he used to make that happen. So can he still work in that way as people are laboring in, in foreign countries or as you're talking to someone who doesn't speak your same language? Yeah, he can give you the ability to speak their language even though you've never studied it. He can do that. That's, our God is that powerful. He can indeed do that and he may use you in that way. So that's the first way that the gift of tongues is active in um, the, the church today. There's no reason to believe that that has stopped. Some will, will tell you there are, some will, and we, we addressed that a few sermons ago, and I'm glad to talk with anybody about that. Does this still exist? Does this, does this cease to exist whenever the, the disciples you know, all died? And there's, there's lots of debate about that, but there's, there's, there seems to be there's no indication in Scripture that that would uh, not be something that God would still do. The second way that this could play out in the church today is, is basically a God speaking, you know, empowering someone's spirit to speak in such a way, in a, in a heavenly language, if you will, um, and somebody else, so he may give someone a prompting, a prayer, a praise, or a song, and they're speaking in a language that the rest of us don't understand, but he gives an interpreter to say, well, this is what was just said, and therefore all of us are edified by that, and that is a totally legitimate thing that God may do through his church in different times. So, but it's really clear that if that's going to happen, if someone's going to use the gift of tongues in a public gathering, that there indeed had better be an interpreter. So uh, chapter 14, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and then let someone interpret. Okay, and Paul talks about that. Um, he says, Verse 2, no one understands him if he's speaking in tongues. He's uttering mysteries. Um, but if somebody prophesies, they're building up. So therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you all to speak in tongues, but the one who prophesies is better because it gives something to the church. Verse 6, if I, give, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And he goes on to say that if we just... Everybody speaks in tongues at different portions of the service. If it's just kind of a free-for-all, Paul himself, right? The Bible here says, verse 23, If therefore all, uh, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers come in and enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Paul says that, that's not going to. It's not going to do anybody any good. But he, but he says, if indeed there is revelation, if there is indeed someone speaking in tongues, then let them pray for an interpreter. So it, it could be that God would work in such a way that he would, you know, give one of you this gift, this utterance of tongues, and, and he calls somebody else to be an interpreter, and the church is edified by that saying. Now, do I think that that's super common? I, I don't. Here's why. I think in this type of culture, and perhaps if we were in a more diverse uh, cultural setting where there were different um, people and, and we all didn't speak the same language, that it could indeed be more uh, common. And I think that's, it had a particular use in this, uh, this time whenever there was sort of this melting pot of people and they, they all spoke different languages and dialects and God confirmed himself and his existence through, hey, you know, you don't speak this language, but all of a sudden... Um, you know, you do, and it's for the benefit of the upbuilding of the church because that person's like, oh, hey, I, I, I know what they said. That was my language, and they just said this. And, and there's a, a common awe and worship that is led to in that moment. So indeed, it could be, and in that sense, it's similar to Revelation, right, where the church is built up, in, or to prophecy, rather. Uh, the church is built up by what God does through this person and another person interprets. And, and that person could interpret themselves. But again, 
If it's not to that end, if there's not interpretation, then it should not be happening in a public gathering. This is what Paul says at length here in, the, in uh, chapter 14. He goes on to say, uh, verse 13 of chapter 14, if anyone speaks in a tongue, uh, he should pray that he may interpret it. For if I pray in a tongue, <clears throat> my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, meaning I don't understand what, what is being happening. And he goes on to, to talk about Verse, eight, uh, verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Okay, so, so that is a legitimate use. It could indeed be used as sort of a revelatory gift um, in the church. But if that is happening, if someone's going to be using gifts uh, of tongues in a public gathering, there had better be interpretation. Otherwise, Paul says... That should be shut down. That should not be happening. If there's a speaking in tongues, let there be an interpretation. It's pretty clear. So, okay, if that's true and it's not real common because we all speak English and it's, it's not super needed or necessary, if God's going to give a, a word, he's probably just going to, you know, give it through prophecy, give it to somebody who's speaking English and the rest of us speak English and it sort of works that way, then what, why do we still need this gift? What, 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 is it, what is it good for if we're not around other people? Because those first two are sort of about people speaking different languages and God working through others that don't speak that but to edify them or to give them the gospel. So th there's a third use of this gift that, that some of you are more familiar with than others, and that is most commonly, it's, it's sort of called a prayer language. It's a heavenly language between you and the Lord, and, and Paul says it should be used in private. And so this is, this is actually a legitimate use of this gift. Paul says um, in chapter 14, verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks to, not to men but to God, for no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. Verse 4, he says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Uh, verse 28, he says, but if there's no one to interpret, uh, let each one keep silent in the church. Okay, so that affirms the last point. And, but then it also affirms this point, and speak to himself and to God. So it's not that you don't get to use your 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 uh, gifts of tongue. He, he never says, despise them, shut it down, don't do it, but rather use it in what would be perceived privacy, right, uh, between you and God. And so uh, he goes on to say, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Okay? Um, so he says, well, strive to pray not just with your mind, but also, or not just with your spirit, but also with your mind. And so Paul begins to give, like, okay, you may indeed have this gift of tongues, and you may pray in that sense, but don't just pray in the Spirit. You need to also pray in a way that your mind understands so that your mind is edified as well. And so I, I will confess to you, I do not have this gift. I've never experienced it personally. Um, and so I begin to talk to some of our folks, because believe it or not, there are people in our church that do. Um, and so I begin to talk to some of them this week and just say, okay, tell me about it. What, you've got this gift of tongues? Yeah. Okay, what... what how do you use it? What, what, do you, what good is it? And without fail, each of them said, man, it, it, it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's a prayer language, but they instantly they're, they're, they pray. Both of them said they pray in such a way that um, they're, they're, indeed their mind doesn't understand, but it's almost always prompted by this burden where you, you have those moments where you don't know what to say to the Lord, but you have this burden, and, and this, this prayer uh, brings relief. It brings peace. It is used as intercession. Uh, it is often used to pray for other people in other situations. You don't know what to pray. The Lord prays 
um, prompts you to pray in this language. And, and, and I was like, okay, but, but still, like, what is, how does that benefit you? And uh, without fail, they're like, man, I just, it brings peace to my own heart. I feel closer to the Lord. I feel as though um, indeed that has been engaged and God gives me uh, a relief of sorts. And that's exactly what Paul says it would do. It says that it builds up himself. And that, that's not a negative thing. Verse 4 of chapter 14, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So it's a personal edification. It is a personal um, drawing near to the Lord in a way that, that is really beautiful and edifying. And Paul says that he does it more than anybody. Okay, Paul seems to be unashamed about having this gift for himself. And he says, uh, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, so it's okay. Like this is, this is a legit use, but... It's to be in private, as he says, if otherwise, no one knows what you're saying. And as verse 28 said, uh, if there's no one there to interpret, let him keep silent um, in church and then speak to himself and to God. And so I don't think we've given many churches, and ours included, I don't think we've given appropriate space for this gift to be legit, but also practiced within God's guidelines. Some churches say, yeah, it's awesome, and everybody needs to seek it, and we're all going to exercise it together, and it's going to be this big corporate deal, and you've been there, and perhaps it was edifying for you, or perhaps it was confusing for you, but Paul says it should not create chaos. Rather, it should create order and worship and lead everybody to um, be, think much of Jesus, not much of the individuals. And so, um, but we, I don't think we've made correct space for, we, we just kind of look at it as an error and dismiss it, or we go, okay, I, you know, maybe that's for some, but I don't know what to do with it. Paul says we should desire it. And if God chooses to use it in the body, then there better be an interpreter. Otherwise, it doesn't say, you know, otherwise it's illegitimate and you don't get to, he says, no, you go and spend time in your prayer closet. You, you go and, and pray to the Lord personally, privately, and you yourself will be built up. You yourself will be edified and the body will benefit from your own edification as you grow closer to the Lord. Excuse me. You will come back and serve the church and bless all of us as you have been matured, as you have been blessed in your own personal prayer time. So it's important to have these guidelines in place. There needs to be an interpreter. Otherwise, it should not be happened publicly. But it doesn't mean that the gift of tongues is, is no longer beneficial for the church and its people in today's uh, world. So one quick way to, to kind of think about that is if, if you have this gift or you're desiring anything about what is, your, what is your motive, Paul has talked about in chapter 10, that whatever we do, we should do it for the glory of God. He says, I try to please as many as possible, um, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Um, indeed, spiritual maturity leads us to want the benefit of the church, to want to see sinners come to know Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about in, in uh, verses 24 and 25, that uh, if indeed God is moving, it'll, it'll lead people to worship God and to say, indeed, he was in this place. Because if we're doing it for our own benefit, to look at me um, so that others can know that I'm here and maybe you're there, he says, man, that's when you sound like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal because you're, you're doing it without love. And that's true of all the spiritual gifts. So what's your, what's your motive in this, and in any spiritual gift, it should be for the edification, for the building up of the church, for the common good. All right, so, so those are sort of, it could be a missionary language. It could be a revelatory prayer of praise or, or a song that God gives to someone and someone else interprets. It's less common, and I, I've never seen it used well 
and, and done appropriately, and it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I think it's just less common where people are all together together and they speak the same language. I don't think the Lord uh, uses that gift as much um, in today's world in that situation, but that doesn't mean he still might not use it for the missionary sense, and it doesn't mean he might not give it to many of you for your own private prayer language. I, there's a video, an article and a video attached to your app by uh, Pastor John Piper, who is very conservative. We look to him and desiring God for a lot of, of wisdom, and there's a video of him talking about how he's never experienced this gift either, but he, but he still prays, Lord, may I speak in tongues? Like, may you give me this gift? Because why? Well, because Paul, the Bible tells us to, that we should earnestly desire it, that we should seek it, and, and even pursue this. That he, he, Paul actually wants all of us, all of that church at Corinth, and all of us to speak in tongues. He said, if I got a pick, it'd be prophecy. That way the church can be built up. But I would love for all of you to experience this, this moment. And that sort of brings up a, a second, or an, another quick question. And then some people go, okay, does, does that mean you're always in this sort of ecstatic and emotional and maybe involuntarily compulsive state? Basically, do you lose control of yourself if you experience the gift of tongues. And, and perhaps that's how you've seen it displayed, and, and maybe sometimes that is true, but that does not seem to be what we see biblically displayed. When we see those in Acts chapter 2 being given the gift of tongues, they're able to stop so that Peter can preach. Okay? They're able, it doesn't go on into this hours upon hours service where there's, there's no control. And, and, and No, they're able to stop. Peter preaches. People are edified. The gospel is preached. People are saved. Here, Paul gives parameters. And he talks about how you should go one or two at a time and then stop, right? Like you give, like so you give sort of, there's an order about it. And so there seems to be this ability to, to stop at will that says, okay, it doesn't mean you lose control of yourself and your capacities if you indeed experience this gift. So what do we do with all this? Um, well, the first, first encouragement I think we need to do is just, if you're here and you have this gift, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. You shouldn't feel like you have to hide or you might be judged. The Bible's really clear. Don't forbid the speaking in tongues. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise it. Okay, so we, we should not be a people who despise it. We, you should, if you feel like you can't talk about that or you feel like you are this outcast because you have this gift, then we, as a church, need to repent. Okay, it doesn't mean you start using publicly. I mean, if God gives you there's a sense there'll be an interpreter, then perhaps, but otherwise we're going to ask you to stop. So if that starts happening in our services, we will politely come to someone and say, hey, uh, unless there's an interpretation, we're going we're gonna to nix this today. We, perhaps that, that is for you and the Lord in a prayer time. So Paul was very clear that there should be interpretation. And so, but doesn't also doesn't mean we should be ashamed in, in hiding from that. Um, and then I think for all of us, we, we need to continually lean in. I think Paul is having to rein in this church that is going too far with spiritual gifts, right? They're, they're experiencing too much of the supernatural to the point that they're exalting, it over, they're exalting themselves over others and, and looking at these. And Paul is having to rein them in a bit. He doesn't tell them to stop it. He, instead, he reins them in. I think for us, we need to be pushed into the ring a little bit. Right? Where we're, we're way more cautious and we're going to hang way back and, and be way more skeptical. We're way more inclined to quench the Spirit because we're just not sure the Spirit wants to, to work in that way. And I think for us, we need to be, the Corinthians need to be reined in. Other churches today need to be reined in on this. But I think for us, we need to be sort of, sort of pushed in. 
Does that mean we all need to speak in tongues? No, I mean, but Paul says we should desire it. But, but just in general, I think we need to acknowledge that the Spirit is a person. That, that it's God, the Holy Spirit, present in our midst and wanting to move in such a way that we are all edified by the gifts of the Spirit. And so we shouldn't shy away from that. In fact, we should pursue and desire and pray for. Why? Because we want to know him more. We don't want to just go through the motions. That's, that's the good news, is that Jesus didn't just come, make a way for sinners, and then exit and say, okay, you guys believe in me, and then hang tight, I'll see you in heaven. He says, no, 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 I'm with you, period. Always staying imminent, present. And how does he do that? Well, through the Holy Spirit. Like, that's how he's with us. And so we, we don't want to just wait and, and act as though, okay, the only time we're going to experience Jesus is when we get to heaven. No, he's right here, present in our day and age. Does that mean we're pursuing sensationalism and experiences? No. It says God's a God of order, not of chaos. But does that mean that we should be really rigid and, uh, you know, only follow the, the you know, the order of worship and not get out of line, not give the spirit room to work? No, I, I, don't, I don't think that's true either. He's very clear. Don't quench the spirit. He calls us to think a little bit about this, to receive the spirit. Don't be um, children in our thinking. We're going to let the whole word of God shape us. It won't be easy, but we've got to lean in. And so I think that's, that's true of us because, church, as I said, it's not disjointed from what we need, and it's also not disjointed from what our world needs. Because indeed, the sign of tongues in particular, or the, the gift of tongues is a sign of what the Lord is doing at large, and what the Lord is doing in his kingdom. And that is reconciling a people from every different nation, from white, black, Asian, um, African, all over. The, like he's one people, no matter the background, no matter the language, he's bringing them together under the banner of the blood of Christ. And that's the only thing that's going to bring hope and healing to our broken world. So we should pray that, the, that Jesus would show up like this even more. We should pray that we experience him so that we can become his people, even in a, in a stronger sense, so that the world may know that Jesus is the hope. Jesus is the way. So let's pray. God, would you help us to, to lean in and to experience your spirit in the way that you would have us Father, not in what we've put together as the appropriate right or wrong, but, but rather that you would move your church and gift your church and send your church in accordance with your will. So, Father, we surrender ourselves to you. We ask that you move in this place. For those who don't yet know you, would you give them the faith to believe? We would love to baptize them even today. Uh, Lord, give them the, the faith and the courage to, to step out, Lord. But for the rest of us, would you indeed impart more spiritual gifts. Lord, would you allow us to experience you more deeply and to lean in uh, to your Spirit's work in our, in our church and in our community and in the world. We ask and hope these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.